This is a Live Well Talk on a day in the life of a house supervisor. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Today is another installment in our podcast series of the team members that work here at the hospital. As we've said on other podcasts, uh, people uh, that work at the hospital aren't all doctors and nurses. Uh, my two guests today are both nurses, but they serve uh, nursing in a different capacity, and we're going to talk about that. Joining me today are two of the house supervisors, Michelle Thompson and Jan Massell. Uh Welcome, Michelle. Thank Jan. you. Thank How are you, you guys? Doing well. In all sincerity, I say this, and I do mean it when I say this, the toughest job in the hospital is the house supervisor because you're dealing with so many different elements that some of them are expected and unexpected and bizarre things that happen, particularly you, Michelle, at work in the nights and the weekends. Yes. Um, and uh, it And it's gotten harder, I think, over the years. Uh, but we wanted to get some insight into what a house supervisor does. So let's get started. You know, I, as I said, the house supervisor, nobody nobody has any idea what the house supervisor does outside of the building, right? You say house supervisor and that's, you know. And you're kind of like the master sergeant in the military. I mean, ultimately, everything falls to you, right, before it goes up higher the chain of command. I mean, so you are the front line. Uh, and kind of the last, uh, first and last kind of phone a friend, really, for the inpatient. So kind of describe, you know, let's start with you, Jan, because I know you work more of the daytime than uh-huh. Michelle will come to you as, as the night. But just kind of tell us what the house supervisor does. Okay, if somebody asks me what I, do, what I do for a job, I turn around and say I'm the administrative representative after hours, and I do bed placement and um, staffing. And I said, and then I'll tell people jokingly, I'm jack of all trades, master of none, because anybody brings their problems to us, we um, kind of figure out what's going on and how we can fix it, you might say. And so people will then go, oh, that's an important job. And it's like, well, yeah. But then I will tell our charge nurses, I'm doing the same job that you're doing for your unit but I'm troubleshooting it for the whole hospital. So that's kind of how I summarize what goes on. And sometimes I'll say, I'm the last to know what is happening and not the first. Everything's the house supervisor already knows what's going on. And no, we don't. We usually come in when there's a crisis and something you do, needs to but be I, handled. I, I will. But the house supervisor is the source of truth on a lot of things. We, we I mean, know a lot. Yeah. Call the house soup. They'll know what to, what's going on. <laughs> Michelle, tell us about your kind of house supervisor role as, uh, it, it, uh, I don't want to say weird things happen at night, but weird things happen at night. They do. Uh, so particularly full moons, you know, that whole, that whole uh, cliche. But uh, kind of tell us your role and what you do. Uh, like Jan, I tell people I'm the administrator when there's no administration here which is kind of scary sometimes, but we make it through. Um, I do weekend nights, seven to seven, Saturday and Sunday, um, when there is no management here. Um, And all things come through the house supervisor, whether we want them to or not. Um, And you take that on your shoulders and uh, do the best as you can to support them um, in making the decisions that have to be made with that. Um, 
just uh, out of the ordinary things that come to you. Um, I I can't think of anything in particular, but but they are off the wall, and it's usually I don't know yet. Let me figure it out. Right. Um, and that's part of the biggest part of this role is knowing who your resources are and where to go to get those answers. So, but you know, so you you say how you're the administrator, but you do realize that like 99.9% of the time when you call the administrator and call, they're like, oh, okay, what do you think we should do? You know, Absolutely. because it's something you're like, you know, if you're me or Dave Phillips, you're like, what? Uh, well, what do you think we ought to do? Because we we trust your judgment. I mean, I, I really think the most talented people uh, drift up to that, uh, this the role of house supervisor. I've told, I was telling uh, Michelle, uh, Jan, before you, you were fashionably late, yes. you know, which is not unusual. You were probably talking to someone before you got here. No, and, I was trying to figure out where I was located. Well, okay, well but, yeah, you, you know. were talking to someone prior to that. But... Uh, yeah, I tell the young ones, the Gabby's and the Molly, they're I'm like, why do you want this job? This is the hardest job in the hospital. Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, but and I'm kidding around with them, you know. But I'm but I'm also honest because you're dealing with psych, three units. You're dealing with labor and delivery. Uh huh. You're dealing with neonatology. Uh huh. You're dealing with ICU. You're dealing with add-on ORs. Uh huh. When there's no spot to add them on. That's true. You're dealing with uh, transfers. You're dealing with emergency room issues. You know, I mean. And it's not only clinical issues, it's, okay, Michelle and I kind of talk, you know, you, there's a, a, a charge nurse that's, you know, have, maybe have something going on in their life. Let's just say, you know, a life-changing event, divorce perhaps, or something that, that is affecting their job. You're, you're solving that problem. Yeah. You know, and that's really hard to do. I don't think people appreciate, uh, I think a nurse manager is hard. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a hard job. That's a hard job. And, and the house supervisor is a nurse manager on steroids. <laughs> no, I never thought of that. But I, I, I've always said nurse manager is hard because you've got, they're in the middle of an upper administration and then their staff. So they get pulled in two different directions that way. So um, I think managers have a hard role in that sense. Um I think the house supervisor, yes, we do a lot of troubleshooting and hard, and it can be hard. This this job, part of the exciting part of it is trying to troubleshoot some of those things. Um, I think it does take a special type of person to be able to do that. And like I was telling you, I, it, you have your finger on the pulse of just about everything going on. Some of the nurses appreciate that, and some of them are still kind of boxed into their own personal what's going on with them, um, whereas we have the whole big picture, uh-huh. um, and I enjoy that part of this position. Yeah, you. if you're not a good critical thinker, with I've known you both for a while, and I know that you are, uh, you have to be, and you have to have, develop those skills quickly. You have to have critical thinking, but you also have to have some common sense. Some of it really comes down to good common sense, you know, in making your decisions. And then you are maybe applying as you're dealing with your common sense, some critical thinking in the background of all of that also. But some people just don't have that common sense and critical thinking that you can put together to do um, the problem solving that's required in this job. Uh, early on in my career, I had the opportunity in Grinnell to be on the board of the hospital, and I thank Todd Linden, the CEO, for giving me that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, one to two years out of training. And it really allowed me to understand that there's more to healthcare than me. 
that there's so much else going on and there are all these moving parts and you might think as a physician or a surgeon that you're important, but you, you, I'm not saying you're not, but you're just one part of this mm-hmm. huge machine that is not only complicated, it's also sometimes very complex. Mm-hmm. You, meaning, you know, I mean, there's some things that are complex, but they're not complicated, right? But but it's both. It's a complex organization and a complicated process too sometimes. And there's so many primary and secondary and tertiary stakeholders uh, beyond the patient and the family that it it really is a challenging job and you guys do it well. And um, I thought with the pandemic that early on particularly, people would appreciate the community hospital more than and not take it for granted because there is this threat early on. Mm-hmm. You remember that, okay, wow, this, They're overwhelmed. The, 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 the hospital might overwhelm and the healthcare system may collapse. That's why we had the shutdowns, two weeks to flatten the curve, blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, Dr. Deal and I actually had this conversation about it early on that, you know, maybe it'll, it'll give people an appreciation that, wow, that community hospital is there when I need it. And I don't think about it every day. Cause why would I, mm-hmm. um, and I think we went quickly through that phase. And now it's, you know, I, I want to be politically correct or diplomatic or just kind in saying this, but I think patients and families are harder to get along with than they were in the past. I know that sounds, mm-hmm. I, sounds I horrible, disagree. but it just seems like there's more, I don't want to say conflict because that's not it, but just less harmony than there used to be. And I don't know if, it's, it, you know, it's good. I'm glad you're saying that, Michelle, because am I just getting older and cynical? But but no. it just seems like there's just more disharmony than there was in the past. And, and it, it worries me. Yeah. It, it worries me. I lose a little sleep over that. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it feels like families, patients and families seem to be getting more and more aggressive. Um And I don't know if it comes from the pandemic that, you know, we were always there and now it's expected that we continue to be there, which we are. But at the same time, they just want more. It's yeah, it's an odd relationship. And like a lot of things in life, Michelle, there's probably not one. We're going to walk in a room, turn on the light and say, aha, here is the problem. That's not it. I mean, it's it's multifactorial but it is it's the and we are we are gonna we are planning on working on doing some violence in the hospital podcast because i think we need to talk about that issue it's a difficult issue to talk about um because you don't want to come off sounding like you don't like your i love my job i love the Mm -hmm. people i work with i love the patients i'm i'm so blessed but on the same token things are changing and we want to be sure that we can you know, react to it and protect our patients as much as we protect our families and our our, our family, our staff. You know, and, and they are a family. Yeah. You spend a lot of time with people in healthcare. You become very close to your coworkers in healthcare. They become your family. They do. I mean, it's much like it's you know, your work family. Fire and law enforcement, and there's other jobs uh, where you just spend a lot of time with people, and they really do become your family. Um, you know, and and uh, you worry about them. You have the opportunity to have deep conversations yeah. about deep subjects yeah, yeah. in this profession, you know. Uh, and we all take it personal when they get stressed, yeah. you know. I, at least, I mean, I do. I yep. know you guys do. And, and you, 
you worry about them, you know, because particularly the young ones. Yeah. I think society um, with, you know, computerization and how much people, we get this instant gratification with, you know, the information that we get across our cell phones, across the computers, across everything that I think everybody's used to having everything now so much quicker and healthcare does not move quickly. It's more of a hurry up and wait um, profession because we have to wait for results to come in. We have to wait to have maybe that consult physician come in. We have to wait. So you have, you know, people don't want to wait. They want instantaneous results. And, I, I think you're right. I think, that's, I that's, think that's, that's hard for people as well as when our nurses are taking care of pay, another patient and one of their other patients calls them, you know, they think they need it, them immediately and they don't want to wait for the care that, of their primary nurse to give them. They want something now. And in that waiting, it appears that we're not being transparent. You know, we talk about transparency all the time. Um, it, it appears that you're not being transparent when you can't, when you don't have the results that you need. You don't have what you need right there, right then. Um, so that, I think, plays into that as well. I, and I, I do think part of it also is the instant gratification mm -hmm. or responsiveness. It's everything's fast, mm -hmm. you know, fast. Um, the also is I think there is a percentage of the population that have to pay more out of pocket, particularly mm -hmm. with the Affordable Care Act, the, these higher premiums, higher deductibles. So, you know, now that they're putting their money on the line, it's a little bit more, they're more demanding, I think, on some level because it's their money, you know, yeah. and, and I, I, I understand that, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I, not a lot I can do about that, but, and I get it, but it just makes the job harder. I always get real defensive, I, you know, I, as is, I mean, I will try to look out for all my team members, but when people complain about waiting for a physician, I'm like, what, what do you think they were doing? They were taking care of another patient or the nurse was slow to get in. What? Okay, that because there's another patient they were taking care of. It's not like they were, you know, playing video games somewhere. I mean, it's they're hustling all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you your average floor nurse can she can he or she can hold about fifteen hundred liter milliliters in their bladder because they don't <laughs> go to the bathroom. You know, they're they're like, oh god, I get to go to the bathroom now. You know, um, it's just always on the hop and. And I understand if you're a patient, you're in the room, it's you, 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 you don't see all that other stuff. And I, I get it. I totally they get it. They shouldn't see that. No, stuff. they shouldn't really. You know, I mean, um, but it just times are, yeah, things are changing. I think we need to talk about it, be more open about it. We certainly need to be supportive of our staff at all times. Um, you know, the whole Vanderbilt case where the lady gave the paralytic uh -huh. outside the, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think. Vanderbilt did a nice job of supporting her. I mean, she wasn't a bad person. Just, no. She was a bad situation. And a system that was there allowed that to happen. And when that happens, you have to stand up for your staff and say, let's fix this system, not let's not blame the person. Yeah. I mean, most people, most nurses will make a mistake sometime in their life, you know, whether it's medication or something else. And nine times out of ten, it's not going to cause harm. But you know, that one time that it does and it gets blown up into the media and everything else and it goes to court, then that's the part that's hard. Yes, we do have people that 
may not have, um, they may have their own set of problems and maybe addictions and things going on that they don't make good calls when they're caring for patients. That's what we want to make sure that everybody is safe. Our nursing staff is safe in our process improvement. We want our patients to be safe in the care that they receive. Well, and that's that's another thing that people have a hard time understanding. Like you said, Jan, they want things to happen fast right away. Well, the reason it takes time is because there's safety measures built yeah. in there. So we don't order the wrong test mm-hmm. or the wrong x-ray or, or give the wrong patient medicine. medicine. You yeah. know, there's checks and balances and sign-offs and witnesses that you know, this, this dose is correct and pharmacy checks it. I mean, there's a reason why. Yeah. It, and and it's time. more, it's become more so in, as we have advanced in healthcare than what we did when Michelle and I first started as nurses, you know, many years ago. Yeah. I, I did an interview earlier today with medical economics about patient compliance, et cetera. And we got into technology and had some discussions about that. And, you know, we talked about how like the electronic health records helped us out a lot, mm-hmm. made some things really super easy. But it's also complicated some things, too. You know, med reconciliation is just, it's a nightmare, you know, because it's, it went from a trifold list that people keep in their wallet to this dynamic list that's constantly changing because it's electronic now. It's not a piece of paper. It's it's hard to describe unless you're in healthcare, but it's, it's just, it's sometimes it's just so complicated. Yeah. And there's so many variables to it that it's like, it's it's mind-boggling. Not only that, we're asking our patients and families to make medical decisions that they may not totally understand the ramifications of that also. So that makes the healthcare and not everybody understands what happens in the medical world. No, and, and, it's, and it has really nothing or very little to do with their level of education outside of this. Um, I remember when my mother was dying and Dr. Cowden was taking care Mm -hmm. of her. She's in the process of dying and he was, he knew me. I didn't practice here then. I practiced in Grinnell, but he, he, Dave and I knew each other. And so he was really kind of talking to my sister during this, you know? Right. And she's not her head. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Totally understand. Yes. He walks the room. She turns to me and she didn't understand a word she said. And, And I, it really didn't impress upon me that, She's not a stupid person. No. She might talk way too much, which she does. And I know she listens to podcasts, so I will tell her that uh, to, to, to her face as well. And she knows that. But but here's an intelligent person that was like not understanding to me what seems so basic. So it does make you stop and say, okay, medicine's really complicated. And don't assume that somebody knows something. Um, that and can you explain it more in their language? So right. if they're a mechanic, you might not be a mechanic, but maybe you can relate it to certain parts. And I would rather be criticized understand. from the patient saying, well, of course I know that. Okay, great. You know, rather than walk out of the room and think that they understood what we were just talking about and they, and, and they don't. That's yeah. what's changed a lot too. Well, we put more on uh, our patients and their families in the decision making yeah. so that it doesn't always come back to us as yeah. the healthcare providers. Yeah. And sometimes that don't you think that we could probably do a whole podcast on how, and I think we do a good job of it, but we have to sometimes remind ourselves that, okay, I have, I deal with end of life issues all the time in patients, mm-hmm. right? So, but this family, their grandma's only dying once. Yeah. And yeah, they might not be doing handling like perfect, but 
they don't have a lot of practice and this is the one time and so it has to move at their pace as far as decisions yeah, yeah. well we've we're covering a lot of depressing stuff I, <laughs> you know i really should really do want to tell people that this is a fun place to work um but what what it, you, you've kind of described what you like is being a house supervisor and the challenges it presents what advice do you have for younger pe- younger people that want to get into healthcare or younger people that are in healthcare, what advice do you have them? If you could look back and say, this is what I wish I would have known when I was, you know, 25. I started my career in nursing as a nurse in the ICU. That was very difficult. Um, but I think getting some med surge under my belt would have made me a stronger in the ICU than I was. Um, but I found my niche when I went to the ER. I absolutely loved it. Um, and that was part of the having a little bit about, cause I did a lot of the charge role. Right. Um, so I kind of knew a little bit about what was going on with each patient. Um, not everything. And that I think kind of triggered me into wanting this position. So. Jan, uh-huh. what advice would you give the 25 year old Jan? Who would just be four years younger than you are now? Yeah. You know, for the um, actually, uh, I, I tell anybody that's a, a new grad, start out in medicine, get some good medical background, learn how to organize yourself, learn all about the medications, learn how to get it. Um, just learning your basic medical background and get a good handle of that. Then move on to more of your specialty areas, whether it be step down, whether it be ICU, whether it be ED, anything like that, so that you're going to those areas with a knowledge base underneath. And then you can move farther, faster, and you know take on more, and you will have a little more education under your belt, you know, to take on those new expanded roles. Unfortunately, some of our newer nurses and newer grads want to start out where it appears to be more exciting. You know, ICU is exciting because you have sick patients. ED is exciting because there's a lot of things that come in, you know, whether it's people with just GI illness or uh, flu, colds, uh, an accident, pain, chest stroke. pain, but then you get your traumas that come in. And those are those can be exciting because they're happening and that person's sick and you're trying to kind of, play, I say, beat the clock or you're trying to save them and their life and get them moved on to the next place that will stabilize them even more. You're doing a temporary stabilization so that you can move them on to be admitted elsewhere in the hospital, whether they go to up to the OR, whether they go to the ICU, or whether they go to the floor. I think so, we're both saying that base knowledge is, is very, very important. And build upon it. Yep. And if anybody wants to do house supervisor, then you got to start working at doing charge, you know, doing charge, being proficient in that role and uh, starting to educate some of your newer, younger nurses and staff members by precepting on the units, because you're going to learn more when you precept somebody to your role uh, than just being um and know, knowing it right off the bat because oh, you learn I, I, that's so, as you yeah. go through. When you're precepting someone or having a medical student shadow you or a resident or even a nurse, uh, A&P student perhaps, or even an A&P, it just for them to go, okay, why'd you do that? And you're like, uh, hmm. 
That's a good question because I've always done it this way, you know. Um, It's good. It It makes you kind of continue that because it it is very easy to end up practicing medicine in a vacuum where you don't, you're not having those discussions with others. Uh, And that's one of the things I like about St. Luke's is I have colleagues I can discuss cases with Mm -hmm. and, and learn from them or them ask questions of me and learn myself, you know, in answering those questions. I, I think it is it is important to have colleagues that you can share uh, cases with because you do you, nobody knows everything. Uh-uh. And it is constant learning. And if yeah. you think you know everything, uh, that's watch the out. problem. That's the problem is right. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. It, it is. You want to, you, you want people that, who is I telling someone, I, you know, you want the doctor, I was telling someone, I can't remember who I was talking to yesterday, but I was talking about, I was describing an orthopod that I said, I like him because he questions what he's doing to say, is it, okay, is this right for the patient? You know, and they question themselves because they're like, is that right? It is it, 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 not every patient's the same. And I, I, I sent a lot of referrals to that orthopod because I just like how they are constantly kind of taking a look at their work and seeing if it could be better. And that, that's who you want to deal with. You don't mm-hmm. want someone that thinks they know everything. I, I say, I, fe- I feel like, um, when you say, I don't know the answer to that, but let me look into yeah. it, that's huge, you know, when you're talking to your colleagues. Yeah. Um, they know that you don't know everything, but they're, that you're going to at least attempt to find the answer. Yes. Uh, the, R- Donald Rumsfeld, the he was Secretary of Defense, I think, or Secretary of State, I can't remember. But he, he had a book, a business book, when he was with IBM. But one of the things he had is learn how to say, I don't know, and say it often. Mm-hmm. And I think that is good advice, advice that I've had to give myself at times in my career, because particularly as physicians, you, you think like you, it, you're you supposed to know, you know, and if you're not saying I don't know every now and then, well, then you're just not being honest with yourself. I actually tell all new church nurses when I uh, work with them, I says, you don't have to know all the answers. You just have to figure out who might have that right. answer. It may be one of your coworkers who also does charge that on days that are there. It may be maybe even a regular staff nurse, but it may be, um, okay, neither one of you know, is there a unit that I can call that might know the answer? If not, okay, I'll call the hospital supervisor to see if she knows the answer. I may turn around and say, well, no, I don't know the answer, but let's call this unit, you know, let's call I- ICU or let's call ED or let's call Five Center, you know, let's, I'm trying to figure out who may have dealt with this situation in the past and go from there. If no nobody knows that there, then it's like, all right, well, let's look it up and figure out. And well, now well, it might be me having to call yeah. um, my administrator and saying, okay, I've got this situation on my well, hands. Or, or in the end, you just go, okay, nobody knows what to do in this situation, so we're just going to do what's right for that patient. And that's where your common sense yeah. might come in. Yeah, and just you say, kind okay, of have that gut feeling here's what in we're going to do. It's the right thing for the patient. Uh, you know, let the consequences will be where they'll be. And I was going to say that earlier when we were on that subject is sometimes it's like there is no policy. We've never had that before. We're going to do this and we'll figure out what went well and what didn't and how we need to change it. Um, And that's a group effort and it's very much team oriented. It's the old saying, I've made plenty of mistakes, but never the same one twice. You know, I mean, you learn from them. You uh, you know you you pick your target. You fire your weapon. You adjust your aim. You fire again. You know you constantly are trying to get it right, and that's what I love about medicine. 
and to just add on to Michelle's uh, example there is, okay, you may not know what, what it, the answer was and what's right, and you do what you think is right in the moment, then you make sure we have a uh, procedure or something coming up in the future <laughs> so that we have something to follow uh, because it may come up again and yeah. you want somebody else to be able to do things yeah. right the next time. Yeah, Isn't that the worst feeling, though, when you go to look something up? Like now we have the internet, but you know, back in the days of textbooks, you're like, oh, I got to look that up. And you, you, you know, you go in the back, oh, page 637 and you go to 637 and you've already highlighted at some point in your life, like 10 years ago. And you're like, ah, I already looked that up. That's one of my frustrations. You know, that happens, Jan. Sometimes it does. (laughs) Michelle, Jan, this is great information. First, I enjoy working with both of you. Uh, And it was nice to share what a house supervisor does. And. I, I think if anything, we've probably talked out of people of wanting to take the job of house supervisor. So, so job security for you too, because yeah. you know there's no all the be... retirements on the horizon. Oh, Jan, for you me. can't retire. What would you Stop do? It. Just be at home with the dogs. Yeah. Once again, this is Michelle Thompson and Jan Massell, uh, house supervisors with St. Luke's Hospital. If you're interested in a career as a nurse or any other role at UnityPoint Health, please visit UnityPoint.org/backslash/careers. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.